into the hands of every individual is given a power for good or evil. To be different, you must think, feel, and act differently. Focus on your purpose, transcend boundaries, impact the world. Alter from death to life. All right, good morning. All right, good to see you today. How's everybody? All right, enjoying the rain? It's great, isn't it? I love rain when it comes at night, once a week. We lived in New Jersey. When, actually, when we moved to England, it rained the first 23 days. Yeah, I was depressed. Where's the Holy Spirit? Come, please, Holy Spirit. And then, uh, then you realize it's not in your circumstances. You realize that? Your victory is not about your circumstances. Your victory is not about your challenges. It's not about your difficulties. It's not about your problems. It's not even about the people who annoy you. Your victory is found in Jesus Christ. Can I, can I get an amen with that? That's where your victory is. If you don't have victory, you just got to move in the direction of Jesus Christ. You got to let him be your source of power, your strength. He's got to be everything for you. And, and when you pull away, you go like, you know, I think I can handle this one. And you go, wait a minute, maybe I can't. Just run into his arms of victory. Amen? Well, today we're going to talk about uh, the Hebrew language. How about that? Exciting. How many of you speak Hebrew? No Hebrew? Not very many of you, it looks like. But it's really an interesting language because of the way it's constructed, and it's totally unique. And we're going to talk about some of the uniqueness of it. One uh, of the unique things about the Hebrew language is it was a lost language. When Titus came into uh, Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, all the Jews were dispersed around the world. And that Israel as a nation had actually ceased to be a nation since uh, 686 B.C. when Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem. Then they were still gathered in Jerusalem, but then the temple was destroyed, and what came to be known as the Great Diaspora, that is the dispersion of Jews worldwide, which, by the way, was prophetically given in Scripture. And one of the things we're going to show you today is how the Bible is not just a Bible of teachings— about how to live, and about how to find heaven, but it's also prophetically looking into the future, helping you understand what the prophets wrote about that is applicable in our generation. And we are living in a time, in a generation, unlike any other generation, in that we are seeing more prophetic fulfillment right now, listen to me, than any other generation before us. Any other generation before us. I'll just take you back to 1948 and the birth of a nation, the nation of Israel. It was prophesied in Isaiah 66 that a nation would be born in a day. Never has a nation in the history of the world been reborn. Did you hear me? Israel stands alone as a nation that was completely wiped out and destroyed, and yet God rebuilt it after the most horrible event of World War II, the Holocaust. The most unlikely thing happened, Israel came up out of the ashes, found it as a nation. The only way you can explain it is prophetically. In addition to that, 
The Hebrew language was also lost. It was not spoken only by a handful of priests. But that language has come back into existence and is now the official language of the nation of Israel. That also was prophesied. And there's a reason why God wanted to rebirth Hebrew, rebirth the nation of Israel in these latter days, because there is a prophetic clock that God has set his own time on, and that clock began to tick in 1948. And that's why you're seeing, if we had, if the subject today was the prophetic fulfillment of, of Scripture since 1948, we could spend the entire time together talking about the different events that have happened prophetically just since 1948. But I'm going to take you to the the Hebrew language, and I'm going to show you a scripture. If you've got your Bibles or if you've got your phone, open it up to Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 9. Some of you think that you didn't even know there was a book of Zephaniah. It's in there. It's in the context. It's in the the table of contents that you can find there, and, and go ahead and look to it. And while you're turning there, I will say this. God sets up verse 9 with verse 8. Now, I'm not going to read verse 8. I'm going to tell you what's unique about verse 8. It's the only verse in the Bible. Say that with me. The only verse in the Bible that has every single letter in the Hebrew alphabet in that one verse. There is no other verse in the Bible that has every single letter of the alphabet. Uh, there is no, no, none in the New Testament has every letter of the Greek alphabet in it. Only this verse, chapter 3, verse 8. It sets up verse 9. Let's look together and see what it says. For then I will turn to the people a pure language. I will turn to the people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. And here's what it's saying in its context is that God says, I'm going to bring back the Hebrew tongue. I'm going to bring it back prophetically when it's time. He calls it a pure language. So God calls Hebrew a pure language, and we're going to show you why he does that. Remember, God called out a nation, Israel, to be his chosen people. That doesn't mean they always do what's right, because you also are called a chosen people, a new generation, amen? But you're not always good in behavior, amen? All right. He calls them out. He calls a man by the name of Abram, and he says, Abram, I'm going to make out of you a great nation, and out of you all the nations will be blessed. This is Genesis 12. And I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And out of you all the descendants of the earth will be named. So here is this amazing promise where God takes a man by the name of Abram, He says, I'm going to make a nation. You know what the nation is? It's the nation of the Jews, the nation of Israel, was birthed by God himself. So the application is, when I bless the nation of Israel, when I bless a Jew, I am entering into the covenant promise of Abraham in chapter 12, where God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. You see, you say, well, why does God do that? Because he's God and he chooses to do that. See, sometimes we try to figure everything out in, in, in time and space where we live, not realizing that God has a purpose and a plan for it all. Because when you read about why did God choose Israel as a nation, God himself says, I did not choose you because you were greater than any other nation. 
I did not choose you because you were more noble than any other generation. I chose you because you were more stubborn than any other generation and other nation. So why would God pick what he describes as a stubborn nation, a stubborn people, choose them to be the display of his glory and to carry his word? It is because to show the grace of God, if God can work through the most stubborn nation, he surely can work through you. You see the promise there? See how how beautiful that is? Now let me give you a couple of rundowns here. Number one is that the Hebrew language was a lost language for 2,000 years. Now imagine, no one speaking this language except for a handful of priests, Orthodox priests. It's not spoken in public. It's not spoken in a nation. It's completely gone, completely gone. No other language has resurfaced like this language. Secondly, the language was restored as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zephaniah chapter 3-9, which we just read. Also, the Hebrew language is a sign and a wonder. We tend to think about signs and wonders being the miracle of someone healing, Right? But a sign and a wonder is evidence of God's hand in a situation. God said, when I raise up the Hebrew language again, it's going to be a sign for you. A sign what? A sign that you're entering in to the last days of prophecy. It's going to be a wonder because you're going to say, how could this happen? This is a miracle. This is never seen anything like this. Never has this happened before. Never will this happen again, according to Scripture. So it's a sign and a wonder. Now I'm going to take you, I'm going to give you a little Hebrew lesson. How many of you are up for that? Well, if you're, whether, you might as well just agree to it because I'm doing it anyway, amen? All right, I'm going to give you a lesson in Hebrew. And we're going to illustrate how the Hebrew language works uh, and, because it's really unique. It's a very unique language. We call it uh, pictographic. It's got an Eastern dimension to it, and that means you see characters, and those characters speak volumes of what's happening within them. They almost have a story to them. Then you can take the root of those words and you can add another consonant in it and it it amplifies the meaning. So let's just take a look at this chart and it'll help you to understand. I'd encourage you to take a picture of this. It'll kind of help you in in, uh, understanding how we're going with this. So if I start with the word walk, you'll notice that there's two Hebrew letters up there and those are going to be the primary root of what we're going to teach today. So we're going to look at the word walk, and you'll notice that all the letters that are now in that kind of maroon color, you notice how they, one or both of them will follow through in all these different Hebrew words? So if I start here with the word walk, we're going to go over to the most obvious one over here. Here's walk or walker. Now, walker is not what we think of today. That's something you grab hold of because you're having trouble, you know, carrying yourself around. It's the idea of a person who's doing the walking. All right, so you see walk has to do with a walk or a walker, but then see how that, you see those two letters, they still come down into the word step? So in walking, what do I do? I take a step. And walking is designed by its very nature for movement, right? So I'm walking, I'm taking a step, but then also it notice it, that, that one consonant comes down and it's the word procession. So the idea is that no one walks alone. In fact, Amos says, can two walk together lest they be agreed. So in this word walk, when you're walking, the idea is you're in community. So we walk together in community. Do you see how that works? All right, let's look at another word here. Let's go over here to the word uh, king and rule. And you notice those two letters there. There's your root. And then so walk comes from the idea 
of uh, king comes out of that root word of walking. So why? Because a king is supposed to walk in the precepts of God. A king is supposed to order his rule after the manner of God. He's supposed to be doing what is right and honorable, and every king needs a what? Next word? A queen. You know, you know kings are lonely. They need a queen. So you get a queen in there, and you see that it carries the one consonant down, and then a king and a queen needs a what? A kingdom. So all of this is ruling is coming out of the root word walk. So the idea is God says, let me show you this, this very simple principle of walking and how you order your life. That's why the Bible says that we're not to walk in the flesh, but we're to walk in the spirit. You see how that works? So you don't stand still in the spirit realm. You move in the spirit realm. In fact, the Holy Spirit, whenever you see him in Scripture, he's always moving. He's never static. He's always moving. He's always changing. He's always bringing about things in your life. And just studying the movement of the Holy Spirit is fascinating. For example, he always moves from east to west. That's another sermon. Let's go to messenger. Walk. Okay, so what is a, what is a person who, who walks, what do they do? They don't walk aimlessly. They walk with a message or they become a messenger. So whenever I order my life, I'm walking the Spirit, what am I doing? I am communicating a message. I have something on my lips. I'm either going to speak a good word or I'm going to speak a bad word. I'm going to speak life or I'm going to speak death. That's what you do when you walk. Out of your mouth, what comes out of your mouth? Is it life? Is it death? Well, your life, your walk indicates your speech. Speech is not apart from your walk. That's why James says, be careful what you say. You can start a whole forest on fire with one wrong word. That's why Jesus said, you will be held accountable for every idle word. So your words are like little boxcars of communication. And so those words, as they're traveling in your, in your world, they're carrying something that's communicating. And words are creative. You see, God created the heavens and the earth with the, by the word of his power. He spoke the world into existence. Do you realize everything you speak is like a little boxcar of creativity? It's like a message that you're, you're giving out, and you're either giving out a good message or a bad message. You're either speaking life, you're speaking death, Proverbs 18. So you always want to guard those words. Okay, now watch what happens here. So the, the messenger has a message, but now notice how the word business is attached to it. So I want you to think about your business and what you do in life. So if you think about your business, how is your life, your business supposed to operate? It's supposed to operate with your walk. Your business grows out of your walk. If your walk is good, your business is good. That's why Proverbs says that a just weight, an unjust weight is an abomination to the Lord. So imagine we had scales here, and we're selling something that we have to weigh. And over here we have a just weight, which means if, if I'm selling you a pound, it actually weighs a pound. I put it on this side of the scale, and then I give you what I'm, what I'm selling you. Let's say it's uh, produce of some kind, and it lines up, and it's just. I've made you a fair deal. You've agreed to the price to pay for one pound of produce. But it says an unjust weight is an abomination to the Lord. In other words, if I put a weight on here that weighs a half a pound, now I'm, only, now I'm cheating you out of a half a pound. That's an abomination to the Lord. But watch the next. But a just weight is his delight. In other words, God says, I'm going to bless you if you do what is honorable in your business. I will make your business prosper if you operate 
with justice, if you operate with integrity. Now, you might win in the short term by cheating someone, but in the long term, you will lose. And see, sometimes when we don't have the mind of God, we operate in the short term because we're so anxious to get something moving or to to advance our own career, advance our own life, that what we do is we take shortcuts, but shortcuts always end up in the presence of God as being an abomination to the Lord. There's no shortcut to your spirituality. There's no shortcut to your maturity. You see, I can instantly be spiritually minded when I enter into the presence of God, but I'm not mature. Maturity comes from sustained periods of spirituality. In other words, the longer I walk with God in the spirit, because you can be a Christian 40 years and be immature. A lot of people say, I've been a Christian 40 years. That doesn't mean anything to me. That's why Psalm 119 says, you have made me, O Lord, even wiser than all my teachers, for thy word has instructed me. You see, you're not wise because you're old. You're not wise because you go to school. You're wise because you've interacted and encountered the holy God who's poured his wisdom in you, and everything that comes out of you is him. That's where wisdom comes from, and the Bible says wisdom speaks. Wisdom stands at the door. It lifts her voice. Will you hear me? Will you hear me? I have wisdom for you. And you're just walking by ignoring it because you're so anxious to take the shortcut and get an advancement somewhere along the line. So God is teaching us about business. In that chart up there, I walked backwards the other day, and Timmy said, what are you doing? I said, I'm walking backwards. She says, why? Just checking out my reverse. I don't even know if it still works. I don't walk backwards anymore. I just thought, have you ever done that? Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, you got to check your reverse out. I don't know. Okay. That has no bearing on what we're talking about today. There is no Hebrew word for that. Okay, now, so what I'm doing is I'm taking it and I say, I want my business to thrive. I want to thrive in my company. If, I, if I'm a business owner, I want it to thrive. If I'm working for someone, I want to thrive. How do I do it? Don't worry about your business. Worry about your walk. Because your walk will put you in touch with God who is the best businessman on earth. Amen? All right, let's move on here. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about promises. How many of you want a promise from God? Let's see. Do that again. Okay, all of you who don't have your hand up, why not? Right, okay. All right, we're going to talk about this. All right, so I want you to think about a funnel here, and we're going to use, we're going to talk about the word promise in Hebrew. I gave you the word walk to illustrate something, but now I'm going to take you on a journey of the word promise. Now, if you go on Amazon or someplace, you can find a book, 50, uh, All the Promises of God, or 50 of the Top Promises of God. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take that principle, and I'm going to build on that. I'm going to show you that every word that God speaks is a promise. This is how the Hebrew words work. It's a promise that breaches a culmination in something I'm going to bring to you here toward the end. So the first word that we're going to look at is the word debar. And this word is literally translated promise in the Old Testament. So if you, you're reading your Bible and you read along and it comes the word promise, it could be this word debar. And the idea is it means promise, it's translated promise, but it also has the idea of command. So the promises of God are commanded on his people. 
We think they're optional. We think we've got to find them. God says, no, my promise is a command to you. It's a part of being in the covenant with me, in relationship with me. Wherever you go, the promises are going to be always flowing because I'm commanding them on you. Now, every one of these promises, there's about four or five different Hebrew words. We're just going to show you three of them uh, today. And the next one is the word devere. This word is also translated promise, but what's interesting about this one is it communicates the idea of the holy of holies. Now, let me explain what that means. In the tabernacle or in the temple of the Jews, they had a holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, how many of you remember Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, that's the idea. Got it? I love that movie. It's helped me illustrate this so much. Okay, so there's this little box called the Ark of the Covenant. On the top of it was called the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would go in and he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant, and the blood was to take away the sins of the people for the year. It was called the Day of Atonement. Remember the word atonement as at one met with God. When I'm atoned for my sins, I'm at one with God. All right? So this word promise says you realize the promises of God when you enter into the Holy of Holies. In fact, when you begin to read the Word of God, you are literally entering into the Holy of Holies of God. You're not just reading the Bible. You're you're entering into His presence. You're entering into His holiness. Have you ever had those times where you thought you ought to read the Bible, but you're just too lazy? Can anybody relate to that? You're laying on a couch, all right? All, all you couch guys, raise your hand, all right? You're laying on a couch. It's just, you're just tired. You're just zoning out, right? You say something like this, I don't even want to think. I'm tired of thinking. And so it's an amusement for you. You're watching TV. It's an amusement. Do you know the word amusement means no mind? It literally means the word A negates it. Muse is mind in, in the Greek. So it's no mindment. I'm not thinking. So what's the strategy of the enemy? The strategy of the enemy is to keep us amused as much as we can so we never use our mind, never engage our spirit, never advance the kingdom of God. So we are amusing ourselves to death, literally. So if it wasn't bad enough, we used to have amusement parks only. You had to go there to be amused. But now we have a mobile amusement device. So I can be amused all day long. So it is mindless for me to engage in social media. It's helpful, but let's face it, you don't really think a lot. Come on now, am I right? You don't have to, it doesn't take Einstein to, to, to post. But watch what happens in the process, and I'm not against it, I'm for it. We bombard social media with information from our church. 